Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi YouTube, it's Josh Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today's episode is going to be yet another true crime case for my Curious Case series. I just like to announce that I'm aiming to upload a brand new true crime video every Wednesday and Sunday at 9pm UK time, though on some occasions uh, the days may be pushed back by one or two days to allow more time for editing or more time for research, as has happened with this video. I'll let you know in advance over on my community tab or over on my social media. Don't forget to follow me over on Twitter and Instagram so you can see what's going on behind the scenes and so that you don't miss out on any scheduling updates. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. Police Department Lodge recorded. Is this Chrissy? Um, yes. I need to. I don't know how to do this. My son, he's um, kind of taken off, and I'm concerned about his own safety. How old is he? Acting a little strange. Um, 19. Does he live? Does he live with you? Yes. Okay, what do you mean acting strange? Um, I. It seems like he's a little um, delusional or like he's acting like that has, does he have a history of like that or anything? Recent, no, this is just like recent um, change mm -hmm. and that we're noticing um, and he was out to dinner with his dad today and he took off and we just, you know he was with his sister and he says you know, he's feels immortal and um, like a superhero. So I'm just, I don't know what's going on with him. Do you know if he's been taking any drugs or anything like that? Nothing. I've asked and mm -hmm. nothing recent. Right. That uh, I know of. You know, and I have, will say, I think the only thing he has on him is a pocket knife switchblade. <laughs> Fire rescue, what's your address? Young man beating up a woman 
across the street. Okay, are they outside or in a house? It's in a garage. Okay, can you tell if he has any weapons? Um, I think he had a knife, but I'm not positive. Okay, can you tell if she's injured or he's injured? Say again? Are, are either of them injured? Can you tell from where you are? Yes, there's a girl laying on the ground. He beat her up. I ran over there. I'm bleeding profusely here at the moment. Okay. I don't know what happened. All right. Can you tell if she's conscious or is she unconscious? Say again? Can you tell if she's conscious? No, it does not appear so, no. Okay. And how? what kind of injuries do you have? Uh, I've been stabbed in the back. With Say a again. knife? Yes, I believe so. It was tough okay. to tell. Okay, you couldn't tell how long it was or anything? You need an ambulance? Complete. Yeah, we're Quickly, sending please. them. We're sending them. And where is he? Is he yeah, I think in he's the area? In the garage, right okay. across the street from my house. All right. What's your name? Okay. All right, we're going to get the paramedics right out there. Sir, sir, what did the guy look like? Was he white, black, Hispanic? He is white. You know how old he is? About 25 years old. And what was he wearing? Um, shorts and a t-shirt. Do you know who he is? I have no idea. Does he live at that house, or? No, he does not. Did the female look familiar to you? Um, I believe it was the daughter of the house that lives over there. I'm not positive. Can you have your wife or, I don't want you moving if you've been stabbed, but I, can you have your wife or someone look out and see if he's still there? Um, I don't know. See if that car's still there, honey. It appears he's still there. And you, you said you, you definitely saw a knife and that's what he hit you with in the back? No, I did not see it. But my wife's looking in my back and it appears I got punctured. Yes, Dad. In the neck, in the head. Three. Three puncture wounds. Okay, we got units in route, okay? Okay. All right, just call us back if anything changes, all right? Don't jump over there, man. All right, I'm bleeding pretty bad. So okay, we got we got an ambulance and everybody in route. Just stay right there and stay calm, okay? Okay, thanks. All right. Monday, the 15th of August, 2016, was a day that would devastate the lives of the Stevens family for decades to come. John Stevens III, who was 57 at the time of the tragic attacks, had met Michelle Mishkon, who was 53 at the time, in 1997 at a financial firm in Miami where they were both employed, and they hit it off right away. Not long after the pair met in 1997, Michelle unfortunately lost her mother due to a heart attack that she had suffered, and that heart attack was caused by the popular dieting drug Fenfen, as it would be for any family the sudden loss was extremely, extremely difficult on Michelle and her father, Jeffrey Mishcon. John was there for Michelle and her family every step of the way to ensure that they were as comfortable as possible and had everything they needed as they went through this grieving process. Michelle's father, Jeffrey Mishcon, was actually the mayor of North Miami Beach City from 1989 to 2005, and so the Mishcons were a very reputable family. Michelle had actually been one of five children who had been born in North Miami Beach. 
She'd attended Virginia A. Boone Highland Oaks Elementary, followed by Highland Oaks Middle School, North Miami Beach Senior High, before finally going on to study at Florida State University. John, on the other hand, had been born in South Miami-Dade and had attended Miami Killen High School before going on to work. John had loved going out on the water since he was a child, and his passion was shared by Michelle, and it was one of those things that the couple bonded over. Besides fishing and going out on the water, John also boxed as one of his hobbies. The pair had married on the 9th of June 1997, the same year that they started seeing each other, and it was clear to everyone that met the couple that they were so deeply in love with one another. In 2007, the couple decided to transform the garage of the home they shared into Kester, Florida, into a place where family and friends could come and hang out together. The garage conversion, dubbed Garage Mahal by John and Michelle, featured three couches, a flat screen TV, coffee table, cigar cases, a barbecue grill, ice maker, dartboards, and beach-themed decoration. The only rule was, if the garage door is open, you're welcome to join us. The Garage Mahal was a place where many events were hosted, including uh, John's son from his first marriage's best friend's uh, last-minute bachelor party. More often than not, John and Michelle would eat their dinner in the garage mahal and watch TV there, often being joined by family and friends and neighbours. They opened their arms to anybody who might want to join them and that only goes to show the open, loving nature that they both shared. Michelle had worked at the Northwestern Mutual Striano Financial Group for 15 years, with John operating his own landscaping company before retiring. After retiring, John went out in his boat to fish with his wife almost every single day. He was in the prime of his life. John actually had two children from a previous marriage who by the time of the tragedy in 2016 were fully grown adults and had their own family, and Michelle loved them as much as she would if they were her own. John's son, John Stevens IV, who lived in Kansas, had just had a baby with his wife and they had intended to bring the baby to Florida for the baby's baptism, and so that the baby could meet its grandparents, John and Michelle. And John and Michelle were over the moon at the birth of their grandchild, and they were so, so excited to see them. John was looking forward to the day that he could take his grandchild out on the boat to go fishing, just like he had done with his son. But that day would never come for the Stevens family as John and Michelle would fall victim to a random and brutal attack. To understand what exactly happened on the day of the tragedy, we first have to take a look at the events leading up to it, and we have to understand who exactly Austin Haruf is. Austin Ke- Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ali Harouf was born on the 21st of December 1996 in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida to parents Wade Harouf and Mina Harouf. Austin was the couple's first child, though when Austin was one years old, Mina gave birth to a second child, a daughter, whose name I've omitted from this episode for privacy reasons. Austin and his sister were both raised as Presbyterian, although it didn't seem as if they attended church often, so I wouldn't say that they were strict. Uh, raised strictly religious. Unfortunately, when Austin was 13 years old, his parents divorced after years of heated arguments and a period of separation. Austin and his sister remained living with their mother, though they would go and visit their father quite often. Their father would take them out for dinner and take them out to do other activities. Austin would later describe his father Wade as being a dentist who was different kind of loud, a redneck. He further described Wade as being a nice guy who had a temper sometimes. Wade and Austin would go out fishing when Austin was younger, which was something that Austin didn't really enjoy, though as he grew up, he began to enjoy those activities with his father more and more. His father had started seeing a woman in recent years, and I've also chosen to omit this girlfriend's name from this episode for privacy reasons, but I will refer to her as Wade's girlfriend or his father's girlfriend in this video, and Wade's girlfriend ultimately moved in with Wade. Austin's mother Mina, on the other hand, was a very loving, very nice and kind and very motherly woman, according to Austin. She would make them clean the house a lot, though I imagine these chores are no more than what would be set in a regular household. Like with Wade, Mina had also met somebody else who I'll refer to as Mina's boyfriend in this video, again for privacy reasons, and they had moved in together. This meant that in Mina's home there lived Mina, Mina's boyfriend, Austin and his sister. Austin graduated from the Suncoast High School in 2015, where he had played on the football team for four years, and had been on the wrestling team during his sophomore year. He then went on to take classes over the summer of 2015 or 2016, I was unable to to pinpoint exactly when this happened, but I do believe it was in 2015, at the Palm Beach State College, where he achieved good grades, allowing him to go on to enroll at the Florida State University, majoring in biology. In other sources, he went to this college in 2016 after completing his first year to boost his grades, so I'm unsure which 
um, actually took place, but I'm inclined to believe that he went in 2015 prior to going to university. During his freshman year, Austin joined a fraternity, which resulted in him going out partying two to three times a week, which caused his grades to start to slip. Partway through the year, Austin decided that he wanted to actually become a dietitian, which meant that he had to change his major from biology to sports sciences, and he did just that. By the end of his freshman year, he was achieving a 3.3 grade point average, and as a result of those grades, he actually had to drop his chemistry class. He also met a girl in April of 2016, who quickly became his girlfriend. They texted and video chatted very frequently, almost every day. At the end of his first year at university, Austin returned back to his mother's house, where he began a six-week internship at his father's dental practice, and that started in July of 2016. Now importantly, when Austin came back from university, his friends and family noted quite a difference in his personality. At the start of July 2016, he revealed to his friends and family that he wanted to become a popular and famous rap artist, something that was very out of character for Austin, as according to some sources, he had never been the kind of person to listen predominantly to that genre of music, and he had never really expressed an interest in becoming a famous musician before, so this was very out of character for him. He began to make YouTube videos, which he would upload under the name Osty Frosty, and Austin became obsessed with everything to do with his musical efforts. He believes that if he works hard at it, he would be very successful. Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Music Television, and uh, we are presenting Osty Frosty. The band is called the Frost Fleet, and for the vocals, we've got Osty Frosty in this corner. For the guitar, we've got Osty Frosty in the left. For the bass, we've got Osty Frosty on the right, and behind on the drums is Osty Frosty. They will be performing high standards. Thank you. I am high right now, but my standards are higher, I'm too sober right now, baby just pass me that lighter. I said I'm fuck. Austin began to become more fashion conscious as a result of him wanting to become this public figure or famous rap artist. He visited his girlfriend who was in Tampa over the weekend of the 4th of August to the 7th of August, and during this time, his obsession with his music dreams caused him to become an insomniac, getting over a handful of hours sleep at night. It's also reported that when he did wake up after these handful of hours, his girlfriend would find him screaming as if there were monsters there, kind of like sleep paralysis. 
When he returned back to his mother's home after that visit, his family and friends noted an even more drastic change in his personality. Austin was considering dyeing his hair blue in an attempt to garner more attention, though fortunately his girlfriend managed to persuade him out of that decision. He then decided that he wanted to go purchase a heavy chain so that he could look like the famous rap artists. His vision then suddenly shifted and he decided that he wanted to focus his efforts on becoming the next great civil rights leader. He became passionate about helping people and he actually became so obsessed over this that his parents and his friends and family described him as being quite overbearing and quite annoying in him helping them with everything. He told his family that he thought he could even be a mediator and solve the problems raised by the protesters of the Black Lives Matter movement. Two weeks prior to the tragedy of the 15th of August 2016, Austin's personality drastically changed again. He, he changed from being this jokey, fun, goofy person that his family and friends had come to know and love, and he became very, very serious, dead set on working hard to achieve his goals. Since visiting his girlfriend in Tampa, he had begun to research philosophy, religious texts, and even the Illuminati. He studied in depth Tony Robbins, Abraham Lincoln, Krishna, and Buddhist teachings. Austin also became overly friendly with everybody that he came across, including patients at his father's dental practice. On one occasion, his patients opened up about the fact that most of his friends had sadly died as a result of the AIDS pandemic, and Austin was extremely, extremely concerned about this patient. He believed that he shared a special bond with this patient because Austin and the patient had the same birthday. It's important to note that in these two weeks leading up to the tragedy, Austin's mood was extremely elated. He would later describe that he felt as if he had superpowers, though on the flip side, he would often wake in the middle of the night to see monsters in his room. One of these superpowers that Austin believed that he had was the ability to manipulate water, primarily the water that he would use to sterilize the dental equipment, and he believed that he had the ability to bless this water, making it sterile, and that the water would sculpt to his hands, which further allowed him to bless this water and sterilize it. In Austin's mission to become the next greatest civil rights leader, he began to obsess over Gandhi. He would fast just as Gandhi had, and he even set his phone lock screen to a picture of Gandhi to remind himself whenever he looked at his phone. He believed that he had this special kind of charisma which allowed him to talk to anybody and everybody without caring what anybody thought about him. He also thought that he was extremely, extremely talented in every area that he applied himself to, believing that if he worked hard at something, he was bound to be successful at it because he was so talented. During the week leading up to the events of the 15th of August 2016, Austin believed he was seeing dark shadows at night while he was in his bed. He claimed to have developed an ability to read people and environments to distinguish good and evil. Austin had started to believe that the devil was out to kill him and his sister, 
her, and that everybody inside his mother's house was also at risk. As a result of this, he wanted to be closer to his family, so he moved his mattress, which was located on the other side of the house to where his family slept, to his old bedroom, which was much closer. He even began to sleep in his sister's bedroom on the floor, and this was because for two reasons, he believed that his sister was in danger and he wanted to protect her, but also because he was scared and he wanted to be with someone. Austin had also brought his dog into his room to sleep with him on many occasions during that week, so that the dog could protect him and so that he in turn could also protect the dog. He also took the dog for a walk, which is something he'd never done before, and this was because he had started to feel a very special connection to dogs. On Friday the 12th of August, August 2016, three days before the tragedy, Austin wholeheartedly believes that he had superpowers. He believes that he was just like Jesus, and he began to walk in a slow, harmonious movement that Jesus also was said to walk in. Austin would later say in his psychiatric evaluation that he, as a Jesus-like person, he felt the responsibility to fix everybody else's problems. He began to wear lightly coloured clothes simply because Jesus was also said to have worn lightly coloured clothing. Austin also developed this ideology that darker clothing was evil, and if he wore it, it would make him evil. He became very, very afraid of the dark, and slept with the lights on. On Saturday the 13th of August 2016, Austin had begun to collect business cards from people, as he believed that through these cards, he would be able to protect people. Though this idea wouldn't last long, as the very next day on the Sunday, he fears that having these business cards would actually do the opposite and could actually bring harm to these people, so he tore them up and threw them away. He also became obsessed on that Saturday with his horoscope, and primarily the fact that he was a Sagittarius, and a symbolization of the Sagittarius star sign is a half-man, half-horse type creature, and it was on this Saturday that Austin began to believe that he was half man, half horse. Austin had gone on a bike ride with his father Wade and Wade's girlfriend that day on the Saturday, and he exhibited an increased interest in the horses that they cycled past. On this bike ride, he had also heard a group of dogs barking in the distance, and he got this sudden feeling that the dog's souls were asking for his help. That Saturday evening, Austin joined his father and his father's girlfriend at a restaurant for dinner. At this restaurant, Austin kept drinking more and more water, as he believes that this water was connected to the fountain of youth, and by drinking more and more water, it would actually keep him young and make him younger, make him live longer. His father Wade, and even one of the waiters at the restaurant, tried to persuade him to have an alcoholic drink to take the edge off, because he was clearly quite agitated and quite tense, though Austin refused. At this dinner, Wade and his girlfriend actually had a small argument, and as a result of this, Austin asked Wade's girlfriend whether 
she wanted him to give her a lift back to their house. However, his father Wade refused to give Austin the keys to his car. Subsequently, Austin left the restaurant and began to walk back to his mother's house. On the way, he crossed over a bridge where he spoke to a group of Hispanic people and also a group of homeless people. At one point, a cyclist was cycling down the road as Austin was walking up the street in the middle of the road and this cyclist seeing um, Austin swerved out of the way to make sure that they didn't hit him and as a result of the cyclist swerving out of the way, Austin believed that he actually had a force field that made him invincible and that now nothing could do him harm. As he was walking along the route back to his mother's house, a street lamp actually switched off, which he immediately started panicking because he believed that this was the work of some dark evil forces that were out to get him and out to, out to harm him. So he ran to the nearest source of light, which was a local pizza shop. And when he got to this pizza place, a family had just started getting into their truck to go home. Austin asked his family if he could hitch a ride in the bed of this truck to the entrance of his neighborhood. And the family agreed. Austin had never hitchhiked before, although thankfully in this case he was safely dropped off at the entrance to his neighbourhood. The following day, on Sunday the 14th of August 2016, Austin went with his father, his father's girlfriend and his best friend to a gun show where he bought a knife which he claimed he needed for protection, a switchblade knife. He spoke to one vendor about survivalism and he spoke to another vendor at the gun show about what to do in hand-to-hand -hand combat. After they left the gun show at about 5pm, Austin and his family went over to his maternal grandmother's house for dinner and his behaviour there was very, very strange. During this dinner, his family noted that he was extremely talkative and very, very affectionate. He would constantly tell them that he loved them and he constantly said to his grandmother that um, he was so, so grateful for her for cooking the food for everyone and all this blessing stuff. He even told them that they should all be very nice to everybody they meet. Later that day, his mother Mina gave him his grandmother's stone cross, which he took happily and wore around his neck for further protection. On that fateful Monday, the 15th of August, 2016, 19-year-old Austin Haruf woke up and put on a Michael Vick jersey. He had done this because he believed he had this special connection to dogs. And despite the fact that Michael Vick has a connection to dog fighting, he believed that he was now a good person. So he should wear the jersey as it represented the facts that somebody could change. Austin also put on a pair of aviator sunglasses as he believed that these sunglasses would protect him from evil. He then decided to go down to the beach early on that Monday morning where he began to run as fast as he can just like an animal would. He believed he was an animal that could run this fast. He began jumping from rock to rock as if he was some kind of acrobat who had these superpowers that allowed him to jump pretty high. Austin would later describe that during this trip to the beach, he felt as if he was half man, half dog. And when he saw other dogs who were going for their morning walks at the beach, he felt a really, really special connection to them. And he just knew that he was half dog, half man, 
believing that dog fur had started growing on his face. After a stint at the beach, he decided to run to his father's house to collect his car, which he had left there the night before. On the way there, he ran in the middle of the roads, believing that his force field would protect him. And obviously, people not wanting to hit somebody running down the middle of the road swerved out of the way to avoid him, which further concreted his belief that he had this force field. He had this belief that he was invincible. When he arrived at his father's house, only his father's girlfriend was there and she had contacted his father who had told her to try and keep him at the house so she started giving him odd jobs to do like repair the radio on the boat or move something or you know those uh, odd jobs that could keep him busy. As lunch approached, Wade came home on his lunch break from the dental practice and he instructed his son Ostium to take a Xanax so that he would calm down. He handed him the bottle of Xanax that he had prescribed and Austin just threw it onto the grass, threw it away from him, refusing to take it because he believes that drugs were evil and that they were killing him. Austin then climbed and jumped on top of the roof and on top of the hood of Wade's car until Wade was forced to give him uh, Austin's car keys back. When he got the car keys back, Austin jumped into his car and drove to a nearby jewellery store with Wade's father driving in his own car close behind. Wade tried to give Austin another Xanax just outside of this jewellery store. Austin put the Xanax pill in his mouth but then straight away took it out and threw it to the floor refusing to take it and unfortunately Wade's lunch hour was coming to an end so he had to leave to go back to work. Austin then drove over to his best friend's house completely unannounced at about 11am. When he got there he started jumping on his friend's car due to this belief that he was an acrobat which understandably and rightfully so annoyed his friend. The friend and Austin Austin then drove to the beach to hang out, and while they were there at around midday to 1pm, Austin's sister contacted him, and so they went to his mum's house to pick her up and bring her to the beach too. On the drive back to the beach, the group of three decided to stop off at a restaurant to grab some lunch. Austin didn't order food though, he only ordered water, which he kept drinking, and he kept getting up on several occasions to walk around the restaurant and run around the outside of the building he also refused to take off his aviator sunglasses even when inside the restaurant. He told his sister while they were at this restaurant that he had developed this sixth sense and he was able to determine the good and evil within people and also that he was scared of evil spirits in their mother's house. Once they all got back into the car to drive back to the beach, Austin then revealed to them that he was actually half man, half horse. At around 2.30pm to 3pm, the group finally got on their way back to the beach, and on this journey, Austin drove very fast and made an illegal U-turn at a red light. His sister texted their mother saying that Austin needed to see a psychologist at 2.53pm. When they arrived at the beach, 
Austin started saying that he was now half man, half dog. The group then bumped into five of Austin's fraternity brothers, who also noted that he was acting very, very strange. The fraternity brothers invited the group of them over to one of their homes as they were having a small party, and the three uh, accepted this invitation. When they got to the house, Austin saw people smoking weed and drinking alcohol, but he decided that he wouldn't partake as he believed that drugs were evil. He actually took a beer bottle and pulled beer over his left hand as he believed he could absorb the beer through his hand and he believed that this was a way of feeding his left hand. Austin then began playing with a lacrosse ball, jumping about as if he was a dog, and on several occasions he disappeared off into the woods behind the house and then returned again, wanting to be with nature. Austin, his sister, and his best friend decided to leave the house party and they drove over to Austin's father's house. Austin's sister had been texting their father during these events, updating him on these weird things that Austin was coming out with and Austin's father was rightfully very, very um, worried and concerned and he'd come back home from work. I believe he came back home early just so that he could be there and try and figure out what's going on with Austin. Interestingly, Austin climbed into the trunk of the car when they drove back from the party to Austin's father's house because he thought he was a dog and that he be he belonged in the, the back of the car. When they arrived at their father's house, they decided to go out on a hike through the local woods. The hike itself lasted only two or three hours, but the events that took place on this hike and the subsequent events that followed are very, very strange. According to a police interview with Austin's father, Austin's mood was very, very volatile. In one moment, he would be very happy and very outgoing, but in the next, he would be very shy and reserved and withdrawn. Partway through the hike, the group came across two empty tortoise shells. As soon as Austin saw the shells, he pulled out his switchblade knife that he had bought at the gun show the day before and told everyone to stop. He then told everyone to stay behind him because he felt that something really bad was going to happen in this location. Austin's father yelled at Austin to put the knife away and Austin obliged. The group then started to continue on their hike, but as they set off, Austin began to run as fast as he could. He sprinted at full speed for a considerable distance. Austin's father Wade called his girlfriend to come pick them up um, and when his girlfriend came and picked them up they also drove and picked up Austin and they found him to be extremely dehydrated and extremely sweaty so they decided that they would go and grab some dinner and um, you know, refresh, get some more water in them, rehydrate, get some good food in their systems. While they were waiting for the food to arrive at the table at this restaurant, Austin excused himself to go to the bathroom, but he never came back. Austin had actually run back to his mother's house where he knocked on the door. When Mina Haruf, Austin's mother, opened the front door, she was confronted with Austin standing there in just his shorts with no shirt on, 
extremely sweaty. Austin didn't say anything to his mother, he just walked straight into the house. And when Mina inquired as to where his sister was because she knew that he'd been spending the day with his sister, he replied by saying that he didn't know, even though he had just been at the restaurant with them. Mina had just started cooking dinner when Austin had shown up, and so she asked him whether he was hungry and whether he wanted any of the food that she was cooking. By this point, Austin and Mina had moved into the kitchen. Austin told his mother that yes, he was hungry, and so Mina began to gather all the ingredients to make some more food for Austin. She went into the refrigerator to take out more ingredients. As she was closing the fridge, she saw Austin holding a bottle of Wesson oil, which is an American vegetable oil which is used in cooking. Austin was holding the oil in a manner that looked as if he was about to start chugging the oil from the bottle. So naturally, Mina told him, that isn't a drink, you can't drink that, took it off of him and put it on the counter. Right as she did this, her mobile phone started ringing. And when Mina picked up this phone, she realized that her daughter was on the other end of the line. Meanwhile, Austin had grabbed a bowl, filled it with mozzarella cheese, and poured this Wesson oil all over it and started eating it. Mina's daughter, who was on the other end of the line on the phone with Mina, asked her whether she knew where Austin was as they were waiting for him to return at the restaurant. Mina asked what happened, and her daughter just said that he just simply left. Mina then asked Austin why he left the restaurant, speculating that maybe he had gotten into some kind of altercation or something like that. But when she asked Austin, Austin replied by saying he didn't know. Mina didn't take this response as an answer, and so she persisted more and more. And finally, Austin replied by saying that he didn't want to wait for the food to come. Following that, Mina asked her daughter whether the food had arrived at the restaurant yet and uh, Mina's daughter said yes it had so Mina asked um, Austin whether he wanted to go back to the restaurant to eat his food and he said yeah I, I do okay let's go. Austin went and grabbed a clean blue polo shirt before jumping into his mother's car. Interestingly when Mina inquired as to the whereabouts of Austin's phone or wallet he said that he didn't know where they were. On the drive back to the restaurant Mina asked Austin what was going on as she was extremely concerned for his mental health. She told him that she was very worried about him and that she thinks that he should go to counselling. And Austin agreed that he should go see a counsellor twice during this car journey. Mina then dropped her son off at the restaurant at around 8.20pm and watched as he walked back inside the building. Unbeknownst to Mina, this would be the last time that she would see her son walking as a free man. Austin walked back into the restaurant and sat down at the table where his father, his father's girlfriend and his sister were sat waiting with all their food. Wade, his father, asked him and I quote, what the hell are you doing? Austin didn't reply, he just stood there at the table. So his father, in a sudden fit of rage, perhaps born out of his concern, and determined to get to the bottom of this, 
grabbed Austin by the collar and asked him again, what the hell are you doing? Austin then pulled back his arm as if he was about to punch his father, though he didn't seem as if he was angry or agitated, he just seemed very strange or weird. It's also important to note that Austin had never displayed violent tendencies prior to this, and he never once hit his father before or anything like that. Wade's girlfriend, who was sat at the table, quickly said, Austin, don't. And upon hearing this, Austin looked at her, dropped his arm, and then walked out of the restaurant. That would be the last time that they would ever see Austin as a free man. The group tried to go look for him, but they were unable to find Austin, so they decided to call up Mina again to see whether he had gone back to her house as he had before. Mina informed them that Austin hadn't come home and she was told about what happened at the restaurants before he had taken off. Mina then said that we should all go and start looking for him. She asked which direction he had taken off in and she found out that she, he had started off in the direction of Church Street. Mina suggested that perhaps Austin was walking to his best friend's house, which was in that general direction. They rang up Austin's best friend's mother to see if she had seen him, but she said that her, she hadn't. Mina then jumped into her car and started searching for her son. She accidentally stumbled upon a massive crime scene with detectives and paramedics crawling all over the scene. Mina asked them if they had seen her son and described him as wearing white shorts and a blue polo shirt. The detective who she had asked went over and spoke to their sergeant before returning and asking whether Mina knew anyone called Ivy. She said that she didn't know an Ivy and she was fairly sure that Austin didn't know an Ivy as he had never mentioned an Ivy before, so she thanked the officer, got back in her car, went and looked for Austin at a few local shopping centres before returning back home. She decided that she would wait for him. While at home, Mina made the first 911 call that you heard in this video. The 911 call has been edited to omit certain private details and to omit information that aren't relevant to the context of this case. She was advised to make the 911 call by a friend whose husband worked at the police department. By this point, it was the middle of the night, so Mina decided that she would get into bed, make sure that she had a phone by her on loud, so that she would know as soon as there was any news as to Austin's whereabouts. She'd been in constant contact with Wade, Austin's father, who was still out searching for him. At 2.30 a.m., Mina heard a knock on the front door. She came down the stairs and saw the red and blue police lights, and she knew right there and then that something was terribly wrong. When she opened the front door, there were a handful of police officers stood before her, who told her that her son Austin had been involved in a serious crime, had been arrested and taken to hospital. But what exactly happened? 19-year-old Austin Haroof is the Florida State University student who's key suspect in the gruesome murders of a local couple. 59-year-old John Stevens and 53-year-old Michelle Mishcon were stabbed to death in the garage of their home on Florida's east coast. Police say Haroof was biting Stevens' face and had to be pulled off the body by officers. I've seen a lot of crime scenes. Uh, I was there last night. I don't know that I've ever seen any, anything with this much violence, uh, this much uh, aggression. In a homicide. 
Health workers say Haruf was making animal-like noises before being sedated. However, a blood test has shown no signs of drugs in his system. Aflaca is not a drug that can be tested for at the hospital level, nor can bath salts or some other substances that could result in the excited deliriums that uh, we, we saw last night. So we will continue uh, waiting on that, and, and hopefully a big piece of this puzzle will be revealed. In Miami, in 2012, a man was discovered chewing on another man's face. Some think the 2012 attack was prompted by a reaction to the synthetic stimulant Flacca. Fisher said he was in bed and heard strange noises, then a scream. He ran outside. I saw um, him slamming Michelle's car door and then a little fuzzy. I saw Michelle come out of the man door into the garage and him grab a hold of Michelle and throw her to the ground. Fisher said when he arrived, Harris spoke to him. He turned and looked at me and said, you want no part of this, you want no part of me, one of the two. And then from his right hand, swung. Harris connected with a swing, slicing his face and body. What happened next? We then got into the little pitter-patter fight thing. I was able to get a hold of a shirt and I yanked him. Fisher realized he was bleeding and ran for safety through John Stevens and Michelle Mishkan's house, ending up on the side of the home. I got to this general area right here, and I was out of breath and starting to feel some of the pain. So he hid near a bush, and though he couldn't see Harif before running home, he could hear him. The words were not making sense. He was just, ah, rah, ah, rah. That, that was when the neighbor ran back to their house and called the police, which was the 911 call that you heard at the start of this video. But what happened exactly when the police arrived on the scene? I saw a huge giant trail of blood, probably eight feet wide, six feet wide. I ran up the driveway and Grace was standing right here, pointing a gun down to the ground. I saw a male lying on his back on an angle in front of the car, this, this, this direction. And I saw another male on a, what they call like a side mount grappling hole. He had his legs intertwined, his arm wrapped around the male, and he had his fingers like a fish hook in his mouth, pulling his face off, trying to pull his cheek apart. Was he saying anything? Ground. I pop him in the back. My countdown on my tensioner started at five, four, three, two. When it hit two, I realized it's not working. I yanked my cartridge off. I shocked myself. Ran back around Gracie okay. on this side. And then I kicked him in his head, trying to get him off of the mat. I kicked him in his head. Head came off for a second, and he went right back in and took a deeper, deeper grapple hole. I started stomping on his head in that fashion, trying to get his head off the guy's neck, trying to get him off it. The male was laying on the ground, and he said a couple of words, very calm, very soft, help me get him off. He said it probably two or three times. I didn't want Gracie taking a shot the way he was grappled up into him. There was no good shot. It went into him, into the victim. I kicked the male probably about six or seven times in the head. Not boot kick.
kick, but stops on his head trying to get his head off. Of course, the canine showed up. I don't remember if he came on that side or he came around. I believe he came up this way. Turned around, had him the door pointed. They released the door. We're all yelling, get off of him, get off of him. He didn't get off. Canine released the door. The suspect had his fingers in his mouth. The dog grabbed his arm, pulled it off. The suspect ripped it out of the dog's mouth and went in for a deeper hole. Canine pulled back, said again, releasing the dog. He released the dog a second time. Same thing. Grabbed his arm, pulled it back, and ripped it out of the dog's mouth again. I was here. Canine pulled off. I came in again. I gave him three or four more boot kicks to the head. At the same time, I pulled out my handcuffs. One more boot to the head. His head came off of his shoulder, and I was able to stop him now, where he banged his head against the concrete and stunned him. At that point, his arm came out, and I knew it got stunned. I smacked the cup on his hand, grabbed it, and I yanked him and pulled him to here. Where his head was now this way, his feet were this way. I spun him over, trained to grab his left arm. We were able to put the second cup on. He was pretty stocky, so he had to pull out his set of cups, so we had to use double cups on him. I backed off, holding the cups. I told the trainee, run and check on her. He ran in, checked her, checked her pulse, and gave me a, a shake of the head now. He came back out, pulled dispatch a couple of times to get by a rescue in here, possibly two signal sevens. Now I told Umbrella to go get uh, shackles, and we shackled him so, we, so he wouldn't fight. When I finally was able to separate him, he was yelling, I'm eating people, kill me. The suspect was screaming. screaming. And that's before he was handcuffed or as he was... As, as I was, as I finally was pulling him off of him, he was screaming, Kill me! I'm eating people! Kill me! Very loud. And I was able to drag him over here. We were both able to secure him. I believe the quest even helped us secure him. In this case, it's critical to ascertain whether or not Austin was under the influence of drugs that could have induced a psychosis and caused him to act in this way. In particular, the public were particularly concerned about the drug Flacker, which had been known to have caused a similar case a few years prior, where a man had eaten another man's face as a result of taking the substance. Austin didn't know the Stevens family, he had never met them before. It was a completely random attack. Austin had started experimenting with alcohol around the age of 17 and found that it helped to calm his nerves and take the edge off. He had drunk alcohol fairly infrequently up until he left for university, which is where he would drink as much as three times a week during parties and would subsequently experience alcohol-induced blackouts. When Austin was still in high school, he also began to experiment 
experiments with the drug marijuana with his friends, though he would only smoke it a few times a month. He actually claimed to have a low tolerance to the drug, which meant that only after a few hits he would feel the strong effects. At university, he began to experiment with the drugs Adderall and Venise, which he used to help him study. He would take those drugs so that he would stay up all night concentrating on his study. We also know that when he came back from university, he was smoking marijuana almost every day up until he had this sudden realization that drugs were bad for him. It also emerged that he had taken mushrooms, LSD, and ecstasy on separate occasions as part of his drug experimentation. Text message conversations also show that he may have also experimented with cocaine. Though, on the Friday before the murders, Austin had spoken to his mother and his mother's boyfriend about how drugs were evil and that they were killing him. So his mother and his mother's boyfriend told him to throw out all of the drugs if he uh, thought they were so bad, and he did. He took uh, marijuana and mushrooms that he had in his room. Um, he went to the lake, which was at the rear of their property, and threw them away in the lake. Blood samples were taken and sent for extensive drug testing to determine whether he had flacker in his system or not, or any other uh, drug that they hadn't detected. And when the reports came back, the results shocked everyone. We were surprised by the results of the blood work. No bath salts, no flocka. Late this afternoon, the Martin County State Attorney's Office released its toxicology report on Austin Heroff. Blood work done by the FBI showed Heroff with an ethanol level of 0.17 and trace amounts of THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, but there were no bath salts or flocka in his system. I was surprised by the results. And, of course, we'll have to leave it up to the jury now, the trier of fact, to determine what, if anything, that the blood work impact will have on their, on their trial. It became immediately clear that there was something seriously wrong in the chemical makeup of Austin's brain. In particular, it seems that he was highly likely suffering from a very severe mental disorder or mental illness, which was causing him to act in this way. Two independent psychological evaluations were conducted on Austin to determine whether he was suffering from any mental illness and to determine whether he was insane, legally insane, at the time of the murders. And as a result of both those evaluations, he was diagnosed with bipolar type 1 disorder. The reports have been released to the public through the Martin County's attorney office. And Austin's accounts of what he says he saw the night of the murders and what happened in the garage beyond disturbing. When Austin was dropped off by his mother at the restaurant, his father grabbed him by the shirt. He pulled back his fist, but he decided to not hit his father when his father's girlfriend asked him not to. He left the restaurant a second time. He wanted to teach his father a lesson by walking home alone and showing that he was able to get to his father's house without his assistance. He was feeling invincible. Austin recalled running and following the stars. There were no streetlights on the road. He saw some headlights come around the corner and he thought it was something evil. He turned towards the car to ward it off and the car drove off. About three quarters of the way to his father's home, Austin saw a dark figure with a white face. He thought of the figure as evil. 
the figure said, Hey, Austin. And he recognized the voice to be the voice of his cousin's friend. When he had known this cousin's friend, he thought about him as being a bad guy. He believed that his cousin's friend was trying to kill him. He sprinted away, screaming with terror. He made a left turn and saw a white light coming from a garage. Austin ran towards the lighted garage to ask for help in getting home. He did not have a memory of what he planned to say, but he perceived the lighted garage as an area of safety in his terror. He next recalled seeing a woman in the garage and her screaming at her. He thought that she was a witch because of the way she was screaming. He screamed when she was screaming because he was scared. He did not recall having any conversation with her. He thinks she had brown hair. He was fearful and in a panic state from seeing the dark figure and hearing her screams. He was afraid he would be harmed. It's important to note that at some point, Austin had actually removed his clothing, so he was only in his underwear, though in some reports it stated that he wasn't even wearing underwear. So um, Michelle's reaction to a random man showing up in barely any clothing is very well justified, in my opinion. Austin had a vague recollection of picking up a machete or something and stabbing the woman and biting her. He believed he was a dog at the time of biting her. He was unsure of the sequence of events in the garage. His best recollection was that he drank a bottle of alcohol or something, which would later turn out to be a, um, a very toxic and dangerous chemical, while he was in the garage after stabbing the woman. He next recalled seeing a guy in the doorway and a dog. I think I stabbed him too. Austin had some recollection of a man with a mustache wearing a white shirt, but he was uncertain whether this was the woman's husband or the neighbour who had come over to help. He recalled a guy yelling at him. He was fearful when he stabbed the man. He did not recall biting the man. He had a vague recollection of a dog sitting in the passenger seat of a white truck. He had no recollection of his encounter with the police officers. His next recollection was waking up in the hospital. It was subsequently determined by these two psychological evaluations that Austin had been legally insane at the time of the attacks. The trial was set to take place in November of 2019, however it was postponed to middle of May 2020 this year. The prosecution then requested for a third psychological evaluation to be conducted on Austin, which meant that the trial has been delayed once more to the summer of 2020. What do you think of this case? Do you think that Austin was legally insane at the time of the murders. Do you think he should get sentenced to life in prison or be served a sentence in a psychiatric hospital for a period of time? Let me know down in the comments below. I personally believe that after reading countless documents in relation to this case, that Austin was experiencing a psychosis that was not drug-induced. He was experiencing an extremely acute psychosis which led to the brutal murder of two innocent people. As I said, I don't believe this psychosis to be drug-induced, but I do believe his previous experimentation with drugs may have amplified an underlying mental illness or mental disorder that could have worsened his mental health to the point where he could experience this psychosis. Though it is important to note that Austin had in fact thrown out all of his drugs the Friday before the murders 
and when the drug test came back, it only shows the presence of THC, which is the chemical within marijuana that gives you the high. If he had been around people smoking marijuana on the day of the attacks, which he claims he was at the fraternity party, it could have been likely that he might have inhaled um, secondhand smoke, which is how THC could have been present in his system. I believe he should be sentenced to a prison that specializes in psychiatric care with a minimum term of at least 25 or more years. And that's everything that I have for you in today's case. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel if you want to see more true crime videos just like this one and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post a brand new episode of my Curious Case series. As I said at the start of this video, I'm now posting brand new Curious Case episodes every Wednesday and Sunday at 9pm UK time. Be sure to jump over to Twitter and Instagram and follow me over there as I am on a quest to get to 10,000 followers on Instagram. So if you want to see more of what's going on behind the scenes, more of who I am as a person, and if you want to find out when there are schedule changes, then be sure to hit the follow button over there. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case. bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.